the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. How's this for a headline? The fight for America's children is dire. Now, there seem to be two schools of thought in America about our kids. One is that parents have the ultimate say over what their kids learn, how they learn, when they learn it. And the other, and there may be more than two, but the other seems to be that, you know what, let them learn whatever they want from the teachers. Teachers are, you know, designed or empowered or professionalized to to teach our kids. They're educated. They have their degrees in education. Let them do it. Let them do their job. But see, there are other forces at play here, and to ignore them is to stick your head in the sand. To ignore the fact that more and more gender ideology, um, critical race theory, and by that I mean assigning a kid's value by the color of their skin and saying that one is an oppressor and the other is the oppressed and there's no in-between. These kinds of things are being taught to our kids in schools now, and there is a lot of pushback from legislators and from families. And I am one of the people pushing back. And another one of the people pushing back is our next guest. Her name is Kimberly Ells. And she's written a book called The Invincible Family, Why the Global Campaign to Crush Motherhood and Fatherhood Can't Win. And she makes a very compelling case. And you can find her at invinciblefamily.com. I want to make sure I give you that website, invinciblefamily.com, if you're interested in this topic. And I think after you listen to Kimberly now, you're going to be interested in this topic. Our kids are our most precious resource. How we teach them, we lay the foundation for our future. And how that we want that future to look really depends on parents and the way they raise and teach their children. And I would strongly suggest, and I think Kimberly's going to agree here, that parents are the most powerful teachers in their kids' lives. Because we start with them from day one. And that is a very powerful position. And anyone who thinks that motherhood or fatherhood should be a secondary job needs to really rethink what that role means, what it means to be a parent and how powerful that is. If you want to influence the world, being a parent is a pretty damn good way to start. Kimberly Ells, the author of this great book, The Invincible Family, joins us next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya.
Kimberly, welcome. What made you write this book at this time? Well, I wanted to do what I could to knock the legs out from under the children's sexual rights movement. And I wanted to do that by empowering parents, by telling parents about their power and helping them see that they are the greatest influencers in their children's lives. And that when we step up to the plate as parents, we we can win this war against the family that we find ourselves in. Where do you think this war against the family, this this attempt to sort of separate kids from their parents, what's the motive for it? Well, in in my book, The Invincible Family, I, I kind of trace the roots of that. But just in a nutshell, um, if you look at the writings of the early socialists, Marx and Engels, um, they, they say outright that their intention is to abolish the family. And, and why is that? And it's because the family is the organization that is the most powerful in society. It's the smallest cell, if you will, of society. And that's where really true power lies. And there's other powerful structures. But the person who teaches a young child from their youth, from the the time they're little, that is the person with the most influence. And so um, it seems to me that the, the goal is to get to children the earlier, the better to influence them in, in, in certain ideologies. And when you leave that up to parents, there's a great deal of diversity in what parents teach their children. Parents can teach their children whatever they want. Um, but mm-hmm. if, if you're in the position of a socialist state, um, you need to sort of equalize those things, decrease the diversity that happens in families so that a more uniform ideology can be can be taught. And so that's, I think, one of the core reasons we see for this kind of ongoing push against the family. And this uniform ideology, it, it just terrifies me uh, that that we could be even dipping our toe in the water of something that has been so messy to put it mildly, <laughs> throughout history, Marxism, socialism, it, it, I, it almost seems to me as though people, the people who are jumping on board, sort of the innocent bystanders who, who, bystanders who suggest that, you know, socialism good because everyone gets the same stuff and it's, it's empathetic and it's virtuous. I don't think they really understand what it all means and how far it can go. Are there mm-hmm. sort of two camps within this effort, the, the ones who really do get what it means and are trying to enforce this this singular ideology and those who kind of see it as good and don't really get it? Yes, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think there's some drivers of these movements higher up who definitely see the outcomes and they're driving towards those. They they seek the decimation of the family. They seek globalism. And then it's marketed so so pleasantly that a lot of people mm-hmm. go along with it because they they believe in the idea of equality. And equality in a certain sense is of course a great thing. We're all equal, you know, before the eyes of God. But um people fail I think to see sometimes the end of that road. If, if we are going to demand equality in stuff, in money, uh, in resources, with the state having the ability to divvy that out in what they see as an equitable fashion, the end of that road is not prosperity. It's decimation of our free market system and of our economy. And so I think you're right. A lot of people are kind of um, misled by this agenda because it sounds very nice. But if you hmm. look at history, it has not ended up nice at all. It's ended in the deaths of hundreds of millions of people. And it, it, it also, you're giving up your liberty 
and your 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 power, your 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 ability to do anything independently. You are you mm-hmm. become a, a a tool of the government. You become uh, sort of just one of many. Your your number mm-hmm. really is essentially all that you are. And there is no when people say health care for all and let the government pay for it all. Well, sure, let's chip in our tax money and we'll do it. They don't go that next level and think, well, okay, so what happens if the government does have all that money and they are in charge? They don't go to that second level and realize it, it's the outcomes can't be equal because mm-hmm. they're going to prioritize certain people that, mm-hmm. you know, or, or if it's equal um, and everyone has a certain amount attached to their number, their name, it, it may not help patient A and it may help patient B. I mean, it's so obvious to me. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I'm just wondering how we overcome that nice-looking, pleasant message and marketing that you mentioned and and get people to realize how how short-sighted this is. Right. Well, I think I saw I saw an example recently online. Maybe you saw it as well. Um, kind of it kind of encapsulated this issue in a nutshell, and I think it illustrates it really well. So there was this teacher um, in a school, and she was wearing her Black Lives Matter mask, and she was explaining how um, she had decided she had noticed that what she called her pri- white privileged kids had better lunches than some of their counterparts at school, and so she said. That they, she decided to enact a communist, her words, communist lunch program, wherein she would confiscate everyone's lunch, all of the students' lunches in their classroom, put them in the middle, and then divvy them out in what she saw as an equitable way. And then, but she said, she said, but some of white, my white privileged children um, were upset because they feel they felt like they weren't getting you know, some of the best food. And uh, she said, well, we're, all, we're not only looking for equity, we have to make up for hundreds of years of inequity and oppression. So there's so many things that that are wrong with this scenario, right? But what I what I noticed about it is that you see each person, each child's family had sent had prepared a lunch for the child with what they had or what they wanted to give to the child and they went to school. Therefore, there was a great deal of diversity in the lunches that existed. And that may have been for many reasons. I'm sure socioeconomic factors were were part of the the equation, but also a child's preferences, possibly allergies, different you know situations at, afoot. And the, the teacher then took it upon herself to make the decision, and therefore she obliterated the the uh, diversity of the lunches that were brought to school and and brought them forward in a way that she thought was equitable. Do you see what that does? It takes the families of say roughly 30 kids 
and it, it wipes out the choices of the parents and what they chose for their child. And it, in the name of equality, gave them something else. And you'll notice, so all those 30 people's wills were forfeited to this one teacher's will. And that is, that's essentially what happens in a socialistic society. We, we give up our autonomy and we trust, you have to trust that the people in charge are going to more equitably and better than you decide not only what your child is going to eat for lunch that day, but basically everything about your life. And so the, the calls for diversity that we hear ringing through society right now, it, it's just, socialism and communism simply don't bring that to pass. They eliminate diversity. They eliminate people's wider choices and limit them to what a few people think is fair and equitable. The story you've just related has my blood boiling. As you were telling that story and describing the impact of it, my adrenaline went through the roof. If I found out that my kid was in a class where that happened and my choices were taken away from me as a parent, and furthermore, that one teacher decided to implement his or her ideology on my, on my child, I'd be pulling my kid out of that school so fast I could, it, it, your head would spin. I, I can't yeah. believe that this stuff goes on. I, I just, I just can't believe it. And, um, you know, there's, there's, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what the teacher is trying to impart here, right? And, but this idea that any child in that classroom is responsible for making up for hundreds of years of inequality is, is, is completely unacceptable. I mean, this is, yes. this is unimaginable to me. Yeah. <laughs> but I think to that teacher and those of that ilk, Oh, this makes perfect sense. And this is justice. And this is right. Yeah, and, and, and that the rest of us are racist and just practicing our white privilege. Mm -hmm. And that term also gets my blood boiling. I um, just, yeah, it, it, it was disturbing to watch it. And it's, it's easier to see, right? In a little classroom kind of nutshell version. Yeah. But then yeah. what we need to help people see is that that's, that's exactly what will happen on a society wide basis. And is exactly. that what we want? Is that what we want? Exa my answer, exactly. my answer is no. My child would be out of there, would never set foot in that classroom again, especially if they were being referred to in a negative way as a white privileged child. It was, it was quite disturbing. Yeah. So this is, this is where Marxism I, takes us. Uh, you know, that's, that's the other part of the story that really <laughs> fueled this adrenaline rush in me is that you, this is the microcosm, as you said, of what the vision is. This is, this is one classroom. Imagine if that then went to the entire school, then the entire school district, then the mm -hmm. city, then the state, then the country. I mean, people don't think this stuff through, uh, right. or, or like this instructor, this teacher. Oh, um, I'm glad to know that story, Kimberly. And I'm also furious to know that story, but we need to know these things. It, in that case, was there any th that you're aware of, any parental backlash, any consequence for this instructor? I don't know. I, I can't imagine how there wouldn't be. If any parent in that class saw that, I, I can't imagine a parent saying, oh, great. I love that you took my child's lunch and gave it to somebody else. I, I just find that unimaginable. I don't know what the consequences were, but I, I hope there were some. And I hope it helped people see, you know, the agenda. I hope it helps those kids see the agenda. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hope on some level, those kids look at that and go, man, this is messed up. 
And I realize I'm only 12 or whatever I am, but I can see that this is messed up. I I don't want to live like this. I mean, that's what I hope and pray for in that instance. The Invincible Family is the book, Why the Global Campaign to Crush Motherhood and Fatherhood Can't Win. Can't win, won't win. Those are two different things. We know we can't abide by this. Mm -hmm. Um, When we come back with Kimberly, I want to ask about how... (laughs) how we do fight this in a, in a singular way, in a granular way at home, uh, in our schools and beyond right after this. Well, how's your money doing? I mean, is it all stashed away in savings, a 401k, an IRA? Is it all in cash? What does your future look like financially? One of the safest ways to protect your money from inflation and from a weakening dollar is through precious metals. And I would strongly recommend you go to Legacy Precious Metals to get information about how to do this, how to invest in precious metals and why it's the best way and the safest way to take care of some of your money for your retirement. It's a great long-term play. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. You can also call them and have them answer all of your questions. No no question is too small. No question is is out of bounds because there's a lot to learn, but it's not that tough. It's pretty easy. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. I mean, I would do it sooner than later. Remember 2008, those who invested in gold saw significant gains and others, well, they lost their retirements. So this is a safe, solid, long-term play. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, download your free investor's guide, or like I said, you can ask questions to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals, 866-528-1903. 866-528-1903 or go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. Kimberly, I'm, I'm curious as to these groups of people that can't see the forest for the trees. Um, I guess they think they're doing something ideologically right in their minds. Um, but so much is crazy right now in the world. And I'm not, I'm, I'm losing track because of social media and the like of is, is this still a minority of people that are trying to push this? Like, like, let's start with sexualizing kids. Let's start Mm -hmm. with, you know, taking kids and saying, if you want to change your gender and your pronouns, I won't tell your parents. I mean, something Mm -hmm. like that, again, insidious, unacceptable, like unimaginable to me that a teacher a someone who is paid by the taxpayers or in a private school by the by the families would betray parents this way is and and they say they're doing it in the name of the safety for the child mm-hmm. where are they uh, to me it's so messed up but how do you untangle this for people who say well they're just protecting the kid Right. Well, let me back up just a little bit and talk about this issue of sexualizing children, which has now expanded to include gender ideology and, you know, coaching children in the fact that they're not male or female. So this is the issue that brought me to the table. In fact, um, several years ago, I was researching online and I came across this document and it was stunning to me. What it was, was is a document about children's sexual rights. And it has these 10 principles of what they propose to be the sexual rights of youth and children. And I thought, what, what, what is this? This can't be real. This must be parody, you know, but it was real. And I discovered that it was published by International Planned Parenthood Federation. And, um, so 
my blood boiled at that point as a mom of several kids. I thought, okay, you just found the hill I'm going to die on because you're not going to sexualize my kid and you're not going to sexualize any of my neighbor's kids at school. And so I decided that I would fight this and, and kind of get to the bottom of it. And so somewhat miraculously, within a few days, I found a group who had been actually fighting this battle at the global level for some time. And um, so what what I discovered is that this is a this is a global effort. Just just to frame the issue of what I mean about this document that I found. Here's a, a rough quote from the book. It said, sexuality and sexual pleasure are in part are important parts of being human for everyone, no matter what age, no matter if you want to be married or not, and no matter if you want to have children or not. And then it goes on to say, governments and leaders have a duty and responsibility to protect and fulfill all sexual rights for everyone. That's what it said. And that's just one. Fulfill? Yeah, fulfill all <laughs> sexual rights for everyone. Okay. So, the, and, and that was just one little quote from this larger document. And it coaches children that sexual pleasure is simply a human right. It's a human right that all people have. You notice it said at all ages, there was no limitation on age discussed, and there rarely is. And so this, this is the core of the philosophy. They're going to present sex as a human right to children and coach them then on how to seek out and obtain sexual pleasure, either with themselves or with other people. And, um, it's insidious. And so, and in my book, I, I spend a whole chapter going through examples of, of comprehensive. So, so there's this ideology out there. So, but how are you going to get that to children? Because most parents are not going to teach those principles to their children because they've got a head on their shoulders and of some life experience that tells them that the longer a child can, can uh, delay their sexual debut, if they, you know, the best scenario is if they wait till they're married, till someone has actually committed to them for life. Um, and that's the safest, best option in, in every way, in every measurable way, even. But uh, so parents are not going to teach this. So how are you going to get this message to children? Well, I've discovered that there's a global push for a comprehensive sexuality education, and it's taught from a sexual rights lens. And they're very proud of that, that they want to teach children that sex is a human right. And then from then, it goes on to include, of course, uh, abortion, um, same sex issues and now gender ideology. And so now the gender piece of the puzzle is, is looming huge in sexual education programs. And it's interesting because over the past, I've been involved in this fight for 10 years and been studying and then eventually wrote the book because I felt like I wanted to get the word out. Um, and through most of those 10 years, whenever I or me, my colleagues and I have shared presentations about this sexual rights agenda uh, across the board, Parents are horrified. They don't like it. They think, wait, what? You're not, yeah. you're teaching that to my kid? No, no. However, you'll notice in the past, I would say two years, there has been a change. Like, for instance, when you saw the law in Florida that sought to limit the teaching of sexual topics from kindergarten to third grade, that was framed as a horrific law that was somehow yeah infringing upon some people's rights. And of course it was framed as a gay issue, but it wasn't really, it was a sexual no. issue. And so yeah. I'm, while I have great, great cause to hope in the parents of, of our nation, I'm also concerned that it seems to be, there seems to be sort of a, we may be at a tipping point to where people think that because they have a gay family member or, or have sympathies for that narrative in some way that they have to go along with sexualizing our children at school. And we don't, and we can't. 
And, and that's where most people draw the line. And, but it's concerning to see so many people. And, you know, there's the whole issue of drag, drag queen story hour. And I see moms, moms bringing their little babies and children to that. And I think, mom, what are you doing? Do you have any idea what you're doing? Why? Why would you do this? Why would you sexualize your child, expose your child to sexual material? And I think they have no idea the damage that, that can come from that. Uh, So let's talk about that damage for a minute because, um, you, you, you know, I, I, look, I, I, without giving away my age, I remember when my when I was growing up, there were certain like at nine o'clock, the TV would either either go off or we'd be sent out of the room if my parents wanted to watch Love American Style. You know, <laughs> I don't know if you recall that show, but it um, was a little a little risky, risque at that time. You know, this was a taboo topic. Um I figured stuff out on my own. You find your way through it as a, you know, my parents didn't talk to me much about it. Um, I've tried to talk to my kids about it a little bit. They certainly get to, and again, when I was growing up, you learned, you had sex education, I think in seventh or eighth grade. So you're, you know, 13, 14 years old at this point. Maybe, maybe if you're young, you're 12, 13, 14, something like that. So to suggest that you don't teach it or don't make it a classroom, a part of curriculum for kindergarten through third grade, to suggest that that is somehow uh, anti-gay or a- a- anything other than, could we try to keep kids as innocent as possible for as long mm-hmm. as possible? <laughs> you know, but so the damage that does get done, how would you describe that? How would you explain to people that this is not a good idea? It can, it can. In what ways can it damage a kid, I guess, is the way I, I should frame the question. Well, we look, can look at it from a data perspective and then from a personal experience perspective. Data suggests that, you know, when children are exposed to sexualized material early on, their their brains form in a, in a different way about those issues and um, often making them vulnerable then to what we would consider predators. And they would not necessarily recognize, it'd make them less likely to recognize a predatory situation because sexual acts had been normalized to some degree in their mind, which, which is not normal for children. But you see, the right. narrative is, is that it is. That's what they want to present is that it is normal for children to engage in sexual behavior. And so, um, there's a lot of data, you know, about the formation of the mind and the different ways that those pathways form when children are sexualized early. And then, you know, just speaking from, uh, parents I've talked to, when their children have accessed sexual information online, either very young or even, say, in their early adolescence that was shocking to them, um, it tends to disrupt their entire lives. The moms I've talked to have talked about when they're unbeknownst to them, when their daughters specifically had access to sexual information that, and then the moms later came to to figure it out. But what they witnessed was a a darkening of the countenance, uh, a depression, anger towards family members, confusion, dropping uh, success in school. And, and this isn't, this is happening all over. This isn't a one-time thing. This is the experience of many, many parents, not to mention girls being confused about what sex is for. And more and more, the sexual information that children encounter is violent. And I had, I had one teenager tell me, well, every, everyone knows that sex is violent. Sex is rough. I'm like, really? How does everyone know that? And that, you know, and she said, you know, that it was, well, it's in everywhere. It's in music and on YouTube. So, the violent nature of the the things that our children are witnessing and linked to sex 
what does that teach them about sex? Sex is is supposed to be a beautiful expression of love between two people who are committed to each other for life. And then it facilitates the actual creation of human life. It creates families. It creates all of humanity. So sex is a very positive and should be a very loving interaction between committed people. And But our children, where are our children hearing that message? Almost nowhere. Maybe if they go to church occasionally, that's brought up. In the mainstream, I don't, I don't see that message. And so um, they're getting a very violent message about sex, very disturbing, uh, malformed uh, idea of what sex is and what it's for. What do you say to people who say, who push back and say, look, you know, premarital sex is a good thing because I can find out whether or not I'm sexually compatible with someone or, you know, I'm not sure I want to get married, but I'm, you know, I want to have sex Um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, just you're imposing a religious viewpoint on me when you tell me these things. I'm sure that that pushback has got to exist, right? Yes. Um, I, this is not a religious argument at all. In fact, in my book, The Invincible Family, I do not use religious arguments. I, I am personally a believer in God, but I don't approach the issues from a religious angle because I think we need to come to the aim, to the table with, uh, non-religious arguments, arguments that just align with natural law and that can be talked about by a wide range of believing or non-believing people. So a couple of things you said, you know, people say, well, we, we want to try each other, other out sexually and that's better that way. Well, unfortunately, the data does not indicate that that is more successful. And so people who, for instance, the people who cohabit bef- bef- and then later get married, the, the divorce rate is actually higher for people who cohabit. Why is that? I'm not sure. We could debate why that is, but um, that's the fact. And so those things and people, you know, the the argument, well, I just want to I don't really want to get married, but I want to enjoy sex. We need to take a hard look at what our society, what we are teaching each other, what are we are teaching our youth? Because when you have sex, there is a risk that you are going to create a life, even if you're using contraception or whatever. You are engaging in an act that can create a human life that that is eternal. And to take that cavalierly. Is extremely irresponsible and uh, and selfish because when you create a baby, that relationship is for life, and you have a responsibility to life that you create. Is that a message we're sending? Because a a child's life is as important as your life. You might say, "Well, I just want to have sex." Okay, I understand that, but. what about other people's lives? What about the life that you're creating? How responsible are you thinking about that? Are, how responsible do you feel for that life? And, well, you know fact, what no, they're going to say. There's going to be a large section that says, well, I can, if, if I get pregnant, I can always have an abortion. Right. And, and that's, this is not, this is no longer a, a minority of people saying that we've seen mm-hmm. that the, the pro-life agenda. I, I don't know. Maybe it's 50 50 in America. Maybe, but women. more women, I think, than men are terrified by the Mm -hmm. notion that you might take their right to abortion away. I say you, I mean, the government might take their right to Mm -hmm. abortion away. So they, I think, would say, well, look, if I get pregnant, I don't have to have that baby. Right. And it's ironic, isn't it, that the message that we've given to women and young women is, well, first of all, it's it's your right and it's empowering for you to have sex with random men who don't love you. 
that's not an empowering action. And somehow it's been sold to women as, well, that's how you experience freedom is if you just have sex with random men who don't have your long-term uh, well-being in mind. And how a man shows you that he has your long-term well-being in mind is he marries you. That's what he does. <laughs> and um, because the results of sex for men and women are different, right? The, the man is never going to get pregnant. The woman is. That is that positions them in a very different way. And so women. Kimberly, are you just have you blinded yourself to the fact that this is 2023 and men (laughs) can get pregnant now? (laughs) Right. Right. And we can just have womb transplants and all the rest. So so what we've done is basically we've trivialized with this abortion kind of narrative. We've trivialized, excuse me, the creation of life and we've trivialized taking life taking life in the form of abortion. We just become cavalier. Well, I can just kill the baby then. Really? Is that the kind of young women and men that we want to be raising up? And another part of this agenda is, I mentioned before that the document I found was published by International Planned Parenthood Federation about sexual rights for children. Well, why would they want to do that? There's a few reasons why. One of them is because they're in the abortion business. And so when they promote sex to young people, they are creating customers for life that so they they push sex and push sex on younger kids knowing that you know even if even if young people are using contraception which many of them don't it often fails so they're purposely setting young women up to become pregnant why so that then they feel pressured and need to abort the baby they feel like so that then planned parenthood becomes rich that to me is the height of insidious behavior and it's that's the marketing plan. Let's sell sex to kids so that then we can profit off uh, treating them for sexual disease, giving them abortions and then uh, sexual testing and, and as well as contraception. You see, so it's a huge it's a huge business. So there's the money on the one hand, but there's something that's even deeper. And that is that is power and control, because like we talked about earlier. The, the Marxist kind of and socialist idea must diminish the family so that the state, the power of the state can increase. Well, if you get people, especially young people, to misunderstand about sex, then you essentially place a bomb at the genesis of the family itself, because the genesis of the family itself is sex, which works mm-hmm. best if it happens within a committed relationship where there'll be a balance of a man and woman working together to, to, to raise the child that they have cooperatively co- created. That's the way that it works best. Even all the data, you know, for the past 50 years indicates that that is the best setting. Um, not that other situations can't be accommodated, but that's where the, where the data says. So if you corrupt sex, you corrupt the family. You throw the family off balance from the very beginning from where sex should be the beginning of a family it should involve marriage. And, and that should be the beginning of a joyful, lifelong, cooperative relationship. But instead, so that places the bomb and it blows that all apart. And yeah, well, we just want to do it anyway. We can just abort the baby anyway, this whole agenda that enriches people at the top. And it also tends to decimate the family itself. And the family is inherently powerful especially mothers. And and I talk about this a great deal in the book. Mothers have been put in a supreme position of power. Women for so long have been told that they're powerless and they're oppressed, especially especially in their roles as, as motherhood. And that's just the grunt work. But it's not. If you think about it, the philosophers through the ages have said that the the person who influences children in their youth 
is the most powerful person in the world. Aristotle, mm -hmm. you know, he said the destiny of nations depends upon the education of youth. And so who, who is it? When a baby's born, who does it come to? Always a mother, right? Always a mother. And so that means she has first claim on that child. No one can have a stronger claim on a child than she, than she can. And that puts her in a unique and supreme position of influence and power and one that needs to be taken seriously. Now, mothering isn't the only thing that, that women can do or should do, but it's unique to them. And it puts them in a position of power that needs to be recognized and respected instead of just saying, well, no, we all need to be more like men. We need to abort our ability to create children away so that we can be more like men. Uh, we don't all need to be more like men. Men are beautiful and important. And I have a whole chapter in the book called The Goodness of Men. But the fact is that women are powerful in their role as mothers. And in fact, the role of mother and father is the most powerful role that any person has. The other work yeah. we do is important, but our work with mother and father uh, tops it all. That That's a great place to conclude this conversation and get people to go read your book, which I am fascinated by because you learn that. So in an instant, when your baby arrives, or in, in my case, we had one and we adopted one, when that baby is placed in your arms, there is no greater responsibility, there is no greater joy, and the world becomes a very different place in your eyes. The lens of your your whole perspective on life changes. And you hear this time and time again. I'm not the first person to say this. But there's a reason you hear it time and time again. It's because it's true. Mm -hmm. And it's been true through the generations. For, it, it, and it will be true evermore, I, I hope and pray. Um, it, it is an amazing moment to hold your child for the first time and to, to see that you would do anything for this little child. Anything. You would throw yourself in front of a train to save your child. And it is profound. And it is important. And yes, it sets the entire foundation for that child's life, your relationship with that child. The fathers as well. I, I, I'm very fortunate to be able to say that, uh, I realize. But, you know, I, so it's it's an amazing thing that's going on in the world. And it isn't new, apparently. Um and I think people should read your book <laughs> to learn more about it. I'll give you uh, the final word to add anything that you think is important that people should know and direct them to your book. I think parents don't need to look too far outside themselves to know what they should do. I think if we reflect on our love for our children and what we want for them, we'll come to know what's best for them. We don't necessarily need a lot of laws or we don't need to, you know, we do need to participate in making sure that our laws uh, support the family, but our greatest power is within us. And so I, I as a mom, I'm going to know what's best for my kids. And you as a mom can figure out what is best for your kids. And then you set about doing it. And if we are regularly teaching in our home what we believe about sex, gender, marriage in the family in consistent and natural ways, our children will believe us. And now they may not make every decision we might have wished, but we will have influence we will have influence and they'll understand where we stand and then they'll be able to choose where they stand after having heard the truth from our lips. We have that power. We can start today. We can have a conversation around the dinner table tonight about something that matters, about the value of human life and how we feel about the family. And as we do that, our children, they will listen. 
Amazing stuff. Um, again, I, I hope people will will take the time to read this. The Invincible Family, Why the Global Campaign to Crush Motherhood and Fatherhood Can't Win. Kimberly Ells is the author. And thank you so much for putting up with my dog barking and all the rest uh, to visit with us. I, I, thank you for the work, more importantly. Um, thank it's, you. It's great stuff. Thanks for my, being here. My pleasure. Everyone, don't forget. It's the book is The Invincible Family. It is available, Kimberly Ells. And I'll leave you as I always do by saying be brave and do good. And thanks for listening to Sideline Sam.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.